Welcome to the Ali Maz Show, where we focus on human being and spiritual living with a deep inclination for the divine. Together, we delve into the seen and the unseen. We explore what it means to be well and whole from the inside out. Over the last 17 years, I've been focused on how movement, breath, and the power of the mind can liberate us from the template of our conditioning and carve a path to live a truly authentic life. My hope is that my guests will inspire and expand you to continue to choose the life that is yours. Welcome to the Ali Maz Show. Today, my guest is George Ramsey. George is a conscious leadership coach, a breathwork facilitator, and an Enneagram practitioner. And he also happens to be one of my best friends in the whole wide world. Welcome to the podcast, George. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. We're both just a little bit nervous. Why are we nervous? <laughs> Feels like a bit of a coming out. Always a coming out with you. Uh, are you coming out of the closet? Yep. Yeah. Let we people are. know. Yep. <laughs> we are. Um, so a psychic once told George uh, that we have been brother and sister in another lifetime, perhaps many lifetimes. How does that feel true for you in this lifetime? <laughs> Uh, for me, it's just the most obvious truth in our friendship. <laughs> you feel like such a sister. And I remember saying to you earlier on when we met, I'm like, I feel so invested in your success and freedom. And you're like, I feel the same way. <laughs> that yeah. was the start of our friendship. Yeah. And that was how many years ago? Three? About three now. Yeah. About three years ago. And we really have invested in each other's success and freedom in such a big way. And we'll get into some of the changes I think that we've made because of this friendship, um, which is so cool. But let's start first with the work that you are currently up to in the world, because it's sort of a mouthful, conscious leadership coach and Enneagram facilitator, practitioner. What What is the work you do? What do you get up to in the world? Yeah. I like to think I just support people in getting free in the ways they want to get free and I've collected a set of tools that have supported me in doing that and then bring those other people and think of them kind of in a tripod of first we got to know ourselves deeply, which for me is the Enneagram. Can I build a real map of self-awareness and really self-study and learn myself and learn how I operate? Um, and then breath work for me was kind of that back towards spirituality that popped me open to being deeply connected to this intuition that's asking to be listened to all the time and giving me a direct line to it. And then the coaching work for me is how do I bring those knowings into my day-to-day -day life and actually apply them in relationship um, and day-to-day -day and have actual concrete tools to bring them into this lovely human realm we're in. Mm. I've heard you say this before, a backdoor into spirituality. Can you explain what that means or what that meant for you? Yeah, I think I... Um, Truthfully, grew up in like a religious context that didn't resonate. I grew up in the South in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was like kind of strongly forced to go to a Presbyterian church every Sunday by my parents who really value that um, and that's their community. And it just wasn't lining up for me. There felt like a real misalignment between what was being set up front and how people were living their lives. And it just didn't land in my body as the truth I wanted to bring forward. And simultaneously, there was one in there who was so deeply um, just had these knowings about the world and the universe and how things worked and couldn't figure out where to place those or how to make sense of them because it was being filtered through religion. Um, I think when I found breathwork, the channel opened back up and I got back in touch with this experience that I instinctively knew of oneness and spirituality and got to have my own experience of it that wasn't filtered through the mouths of um, religious leaders. And so it reconnected <laughs> me to <laughs> the inner knowing in a way I'd just been yearning for. Um, but I had pushed everything away because I saw how religion can create um, such tragedy in the world. Mm. Yes. What? How do you define uh, God now or the divine or, you know, what's your sort of word for it in connection to that thing that maybe was defined for you at a young age through the church and then the redefinition of, of God. This is where, I, yeah, I never, the words just don't do it justice. <laughs> the closest I've gotten. I mean, when you first said that, I just thought you, it's you, it's me. It's the tree I'm looking at. It's the space we're in. It's everywhere. And I think for many years, 
it was the big man up in the sky. And now I realize it's the consciousness that flows through all of us. And there's no place it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just coming back to that. Yeah, it's right here now with all of us. Um, and permeates every part of life. Hmm. Yeah, it's so good. It's no longer Sky Daddy. For some people it is, but <laughs> it's Sky Daddy and everything beyond that. Um, yeah. Your first experience with breathwork, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was in Venice, California, went with um, my ex and we, I think it was like our, one of the first few months of dating. And we went to this like man's garage in Venice Beach, sat down in these like kind of uncomfortable chairs. He gave us like two minutes about the technique, put on surround sound music. On minute four, I just start sobbing. <laughs> and I think cried for a good 45 minutes, um, getting all these very vivid, distinct images that seemed to kind of touch on all the things I've been working on in therapy for the last 10 years. And it's like, they all just kind of cleaned up and I got the clarity I'd been looking for by going through the emotional experience of releasing all this stored emotion. I had no idea I was holding my body. And then the insights and the clarity just started coming forth so easily. And I was just like, what? <laughs> no, no, again, no one else guiding me to this experience, just me and my breath. And this amount of truth can come through. It was kind of blown away. Um, and they just kept practicing. And here we are. Yeah. So now you facilitate breath work. We facilitate together. We teach other teachers how to teach breath work. Um, from that first experience of breath work to now, wh- what does breath work mean to you in your life? You know, what does it look like in your weekly schedule? What is, when do you come to breath work? Um, when you need the medicine, like what, what is your relationship to it now since that first time? Yeah. Uh, it's honestly a lot less than before. I now really see it as kind of like medicine I can pull down from the cabinet when I need it. When I was first practicing, I practiced every day, I think for the first year, and was just working out a lot of old stuff that needed to be worked out. Um, and now I use it when I notice there's something I can't quite process through my system that I may be avoiding or it feels uncomfortable. And breathwork for me is the medicine that allows me to go into my internal world and feel things and process things and move through things where I'm feeling stuck. And I'd say I probably do a big breath work every week or every other week now. Um, and then I'm constantly tuned in throughout the day with breath, but do a full transformational session about once a week. Yeah. And for people that don't know what transformational breath work or active breath work is, what's the simplest way uh, you like to explain it? Yeah. I just say it's a three-part breath you do lying down where you breathe in a repetitive pattern. And when you keep doing that, you drop into this altered state and can access parts of your consciousness you maybe don't get to on a daily basis. And that can look like a really physical experience, a really emotional one, some mental clarity, and you never know what you're going to get, which is why we both keep doing this practice. It keeps giving us gold. <laughs> yeah, it's such gold. I, I shared this a couple of days ago on Instagram, but I had a, a big breathwork practice in Panama. I have been there for a month and was leading a yoga teacher training and then a women's retreat. And I could just start to feel a little bit of the accumulation of other people's energy inside of my own body. And that's really where I turn to breath work is, is, is an energetic reset and sort of a, an internal cleanse, or I think you call it this, the internal shower. Um, mm-hmm. And so I lay down and, and within you know the first 30 seconds, I was bawling my eyes out. And I was like, oh, this isn't actually mine. It's just someone else's stuff moving through me. And the ability for breath work to be this nonverbal processing tool where you don't actually really need to know what's going on or name what it is, but it's just moving through you. And generally at the end of breath work, when you stop the active pattern for me is where I got a lot of visuals. And I just had this visual where my chest cracked open and I could see all these old past versions of myself walking out of my body. And I mean, I, it was 30 minutes was, you know, from start to finish. And it's so incredible um, how quickly this practice um, can just do its magic on you. We say the breath does the work and it, it really does. And I love it as as maintenance, spiritual maintenance and and medicine when you need it. And so, um, yeah, and I, 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 
doing this practice with you, beside you, teaching it, learning from you has been such a gift because I didn't really have anything in my sort of spiritual arsenal as potent or as powerful or as efficient as breath work um, until we started doing this work together. Mm-hmm. And you've got some tools too. So that's a big statement. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's yeah. huge. Um, it, you've said this before, when you first learned breath work, you, you did it every single day. And I've heard you say that you would just pick a topic a day. <laughs> Let's deal with my mom stuff and breathe about it. Can you explain that a little more? I just think it's such a fascinating, hardcore approach <laughs> to healing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? It can be so intense. Um, I, yeah, this is very much my way. I'm a rip the bandaid off kind of person. So when I find something that works for me, I go for it. Um, and once I got a taste of the freedom I could experience from this practice, I was like, great, why do anything else? I'm dedicating my life to this. Um, I would choose all the things. One way to think about this is to be in full, like integrity with ourselves, full alignment with what we're meant to be up to this lifetime, not an integrity that's good or bad. I've got to process through and feel all my things that I haven't faced, all the things I haven't felt, all the things I haven't said. And I had a huge backlog of those (laughs) that included frustration at my sister of many years of taking up too much space in our family structure. That was my story, at least. That included tons of shame and guilt around being a gay man in the South that I hadn't processed. It was just running from the pain of. Um, That included like, discontent in many of my relationships that didn't feel like what I wanted, um, not knowing how to get there. And so I just had this little breathwork table in my bedroom and would tune in that day. What do we want to face today? And then think about the topic or journal about it and then just lay down and breathe. And wow, we moved a lot that year. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you teach, uh, breath work uh, to all people, but you do some breath work for gay men groups. And I'm curious of sort of what you found is your, your own experience as a gay man in the world, using breath work as a tool to move a lot of energy and process a lot from your past. What do you think that breath work specifically gives gay men? Uh, their own freedom back. Mm. I, um, yeah, I think I, I forget this now because my mind is such a different place to be. But I think about four years ago, I was constantly inundated with self-hating thoughts. Like it was one after the other. There was no break in my mind. And I just thought that's how everyone lived. <laughs> that's just normal. We're just running around hating ourselves, being really critical, talking about our bodies poorly, talking about our potential poorly, shaming the ideas of what we want to bring through in the world. Um and I got a break. Those thoughts got interrupted when I started doing breath work. And I was like, oh, I can actually clean up this mental space so it's a hospitable environment to exist in. Huh, radical. And I don't have to wait for someone else to do that. It's me taking back the reins of this is my mind, body, heart, and I'm going to clean it up. And I think the unfortunate reality, and this has gotten much better um, in the period we live in, but for gay men, any member of any group that's been told they're less than or been oppressed in any way, that's in the air um, yeah. and to not let ourselves continue to be exposed to that uh, means to kind of reclaim our own healing and take responsibility for our inner worlds, which is the thing we can control um, and how I relate to those external forces. Um, so it really was kind of reclaiming of my own power and ultimately my own freedom. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a gay man, (laughs) but I was a teen girl. And we talk about this a lot, sort of the parallels in our work when I work with teenage girls and and you working with gay men, but you touched on something really profound in that, um, you know, the self-hatred that is just sort of in the water and we don't even recognize it until something breaks it up. And that was what yoga was for me. I was like, am I my own worst enemy? Question mark. Oh, who who is the one thinking these thoughts? And um, when I in my work, I talk a lot about ending the war within, and we see a lot of war without currently and always have. Um, And often that can make us feel incredibly helpless. And what do I do and how do I change the world? And the answer always remains, end your own war, (laughs) end your own violence within. 
what has that looked like for you? So four years ago, the self-hating thoughts are coming in, breathwork starts to break it up. How do you do that sort of daily maintenance of catching yourself um, in, in the thoughts? And maybe they don't happen as much anymore or at all, but what was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, well, what I just don't think I realized how much stored emotion I had that was, you talked about those younger versions walking out of your heart. There were so many unfelt feelings from younger versions of myself who couldn't express or didn't feel safe to that needed to be tended to and addressed first. And I, I mean, inner child work is kind of what this is in many ways and folks can roll their eyes at that. Um, and it's just so real. <laughs> There's so many little ones in all of us that are still freaked out, still haven't gotten to feel through the fear of what it was like back then because we got the message in some way, it's not okay to feel your feelings. And so I think it's going back into all those ones and letting them fully express in the safe container that is you as an adult saying it's okay to feel this. Um, so that's one way. And then two, you've, you've helped me a lot with this. Just can I retrain my mind? We are so deeply programmed to send mean, hateful, critical thoughts through our minds. And the new thing I've been on with a lot of my clients too is using some good, healthy anger. And you're teaching this way too more and more, which I love. But we've got to have a stop. And if we don't have access to our anger, we don't have a clean no. And so our mind can just keep sending this bulletin board of critical thoughts. And it has total control of us. And without coming in and having a no, I'm not doing this today. I'm laying down the self-criticism. It can't really shift. And I think for a while, I didn't realize that was an option. I just thought it was an automatic thing. I had to be at the effect of um, and choosing to not be at the effect of your own mind. And shifting out of it. Yeah. One of George's favorite questions to me, at least is, is there anger here? <laughs> <laughs> and the question itself, I'm like, that makes me angry that you would think that I'm angry and I'm angry that I maybe I'm angry <laughs> and really not having access. You know, I can speak to it as a woman and in you as a man or a gay man, like, you know, uh, we're just really taught to swallow rage and, you know, and not, not feel it. Um, but it has to go somewhere. And so pulling it up, uh, and working with it, which breathwork is an amazing way. Um, you get to scream and make noise and breathwork. And sometimes it is just yelling or punching a pillow or, you know, dancing and stomping your feet, but finding ways to move that energy through. That's new for me in my adult life. I certainly didn't have that as a young person. Yeah, it's gold. And I think that's part of ending the war is like, stop. This isn't serving me or the people around me. It's got to stop. And without yeah. a healthy dose of anger, it's really hard to have that stop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like um, feeling fed up. Like sometimes when I the thoughts are coming in and I'm aware of them and I'm like, ah, this again? Are, are you kidding me? No more. Um, and it, I, I was speaking about this last week. Like, this work feels so urgent. It's not like, oh yeah, but that's just me. And I've always thought that way. And my mom thinks that way and da, da, da. It's like, it's so urgent to stop this war within. It feels more urgent than ever. Um, and <laughs> towards the end of the retreat, practically yelling at people, we must stop the war within. <laughs> this is urgent work. And I get really heated and people that know me in those containers towards the end, I'm really soft. And then towards the end, I'm just yelling at people because we know better. <laughs> Once we know better, you know, we, we really have to do this work and especially people that, you know, like you and me that are, are, are teachers and facilitators, we can't lie. You know, we have to actively be doing this work every single day. Um, you know, the standard at which we hold ourselves in our healing work has to be high because we can only take people as deep as we know ourselves. And so walking through our own darkness and going deep, 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 deep within ourselves is, is of the utmost importance. Um, and this is what I love about our friendship is because we do that work as individuals and we do that work together and really hold each other accountable in a way I've never had before mm. this deeply. Um, mm. And yeah, I'm just curious, like, I don't know, even know how we fell into it. It was sort of like we met and we we're like, okay, you and me, this we're here to we're do some things. This is what we're <laughs> up to. And we're going to, yeah, kind of like show each other, hold up a mirror, you know, and you've been firm with me in times where I was really circling around my own bullshit and you would just be like, stop. <laughs> 
and get sick of like just sick of my shit and that is like my that is like one of my favorite definitions of friendship where you're just like rolling your eyes and hitting the coffee table like stop it yeah and same to you it's my one of my favorite things to get alley challenge what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) and it's such a gift i like i'm getting teary just yeah i'm so grateful for it it's such a gift to be in a friendship with that level of love where the love can bring that kind of challenge of like Come on, rise to the occasion. That's what we're here to do. Yeah, yeah, and move with with the urgency. So when we met, we were working together at a company. Um, I decided to leave. You decided to leave, and then we got really serious about our dreams. And you know, we'd go swimming at Venice Beach, and we'd be in the water, and I'd be like, "Well, I want to feel this way," and you'd be like, "I want to feel this way." And now we're like smack dab in the middle of those dreams. <laughs> wow, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So many conversations on the beach, first very stuck, and then dreaming, and now they're happening. Oh, that's so true. We go so fast, I think I don't stop to realize that enough either. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Another tool you've given me in this friendship is the Enneagram, and I'd love Mm -hmm. to just touch on it because um, for those of you that don't know the Enneagram, George will explain it to you, but um, when I understood what my type was, it really revolutionized a lot of my life um, because I'm a four. And if anything, anyone knows anything about fours, I mean, George can explain it to you, but I was like, okay, got it. It just validated a lot of the torture and aloneness that I was feeling in my life. So what is the Enneagram? And then can you just, you know, slay, slay me through the... You know, just put me out uh, of my foreness and tell the people uh, about my type and then your type. Yeah. So the Enneagram is a personality tool that maps out these nine types or kind of nine ways of seeing and being in the world. And no type's better than another. They're numbers one through nine. And each kind of comes with this blueprint of how I think, feel, and behave in the world. And it really is... Um, more like an under the hood personality tool. What's motivating my behaviors versus what are the external things people might observe about me? Um, And Allie leads with type four, which is the romantic or the individualist. Um, And each type kind of has a thing they focus on and a thing they avoid. So the four focus of attention goes to uniqueness or being special or different to get love and affirmation. Allie? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm so different and unique and no one will ever understand me. <laughs> that was mostly what I was, you know, um, the story that I was running. So yeah, for me as a four, I just felt like a tortured artist was sort of my type. And it was kind of like, no one will ever understand me. I'm so different. I'm so unique. And I'm going to prove my success and my love in the world by showing everyone how different and unique I am, which, which um, if you, if you, yeah, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the, Beauty of the type is you are beautiful and unique. It's just the type gets fixated on always being that way, which then creates the lack of freedom. If I'm fixated on having to do this, then it becomes this compulsive thing versus I can just rest in I'm unique and everyone else is unique and still bring forth my authentic magic, which you're doing. Yeah. And what, what sort of the unhealthy four versus the healthy four look like or present? Yeah. Um, so within the type, there's kind of health and growth where you in more stressed out or contracted periods will contract. A healthy four is able to be in the now moment and have that be enough. So fours are often dreaming of an imagined future that hasn't happened yet or feeling once this happens or once I have that thing, that person over there happens, that everything will be okay. And so the healthy state for the four is the present moment is enough. Um, and that fills me. And that can feel like a little boring sometimes to force or not exciting. Um, and it's just coming back to, that's the person of presence for the four. Yeah. And the four. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, the four is, um, yeah, I think terrified of the mundane, the day to day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's lines in growth too. So on Enneagram, if you've seen the symbol, you go somewhere in growth and you go somewhere in stress. And one way to think about that is, you have two other types you can lean into to kind of access the resources of that type. Um, so one's they say in growth, go to type one, which is a more principle driven type. that's kind of offering a gift 
on behalf of society or the whole to improve our world. Um, and then when fours are unhealthy, they can really quickly snap to two, which is the helper, and they get fixated on the needs of other people. Curious if that resonates. No. <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, it, it just makes perfect sense. And learning about my Enneagram was just, yeah, it gave me, um, yeah, deep understanding and then understanding in, in partnership too and in friendship. So uh, my husband is an eight, uh, which is the challenger. Is that is that the official title? Yeah. Challenger, the protector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his company actually uses Enneagram as a leadership tool, which so it's been so interesting for us in relationship to to work at knowing our 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 fourness or our eightness. And then George is a, is a nine, and I'm curious what um, your understanding of learning this, what it did for you, understanding your nineness. Mm. Gosh, I'm still like, even this morning, I was getting learning around this. Um, I've been saying the Enneagram, I think now for like seven years and truly it's a daily insight still, which is why I love it. My nineness is kind of set up to go seek harmony and in doing so avoid any conflict and also forget what I'm up to in the world. So there's this incredible like self-forgetting nature to the type where I can just kind of blend into the environment and almost become invisible. One of my like longest term friends told me the other week, she's like, yeah, you used to hang out in friend groups and you just wouldn't say anything. You blend into the wall and you leave and I have to be like, I promise he's a personality. <laughs> There's something in there. <laughs> but nines of this way, I've got to go in invisible. Um, so for me, it's a constant coming back to, I add value in the world, my contributions matter and I can show up and give them freely. And what does nine do when it's in its sort of unhealthy state? We go to six, um, type six, where we get up into our heads, get pretty anxious, and then start kind of spinning on future scenarios of what could go wrong, which you've probably seen me do many times, and just like a fun mental spin. And then health, we go to three, which is where we kind of get more into the spotlight, bring our gifts forward, pursue our growth, um, and prioritize ourselves. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I hope that I've helped you do that. I'm always like, George... <laughs> Bring your gifts to the world. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, step and in. And it's so patient for me when I get stubborn and kind of pulled back. Come on. Even this podcast interview. Come on. Come on out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm very yeah. grateful for it. Yeah. yeah. Share with, with the world. You're so – you just have such deep embodied wisdom. Um, and it just sort of pours through you in a way that I've never seen before. And I know that you are this safe space for so many people through your coaching and your teaching and um, – you might not know this from maybe if you're watching this video, George is six, six. Um, he's a big boy <laughs> and you just have this steady, calm, embodied energy and, and to be in your presence is such a gift. Oh my gosh. Um, but you're not in the world maybe as much as you used to be. You live in Asheville, North Carolina, your man on the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does it look like coming from, you know, Venice, California and the life you had here to um, this shift and, and what sort of prompted that shift for you? Oh, yeah. I've been in a big transformation this last year, which you've been such a supportive friend in. I think I, I mean, the truth is probably about a year and a half ago in my daily meditation, I just kept getting this nudge of you've got to let it all go. And it showed up every day and I was like clean to the life I had. And there was a deep knowing in me that to actually go deeper in this work, I had to let it all go. The external circumstances of my life just weren't lining up with what my soul wanted anymore. Um, and it was really scary. I left a job that we had together. I left a relationship. I left the city I lived in. All kind of in like a two to three month period. Um, and my human was like an incredible amounts of fear. And simultaneously, there's this deep knowing coming through me around, we've just got to set things up differently. Um, and so I moved to the place I always have really wanted to live and kind of is my spiritual home, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Asheville, North Carolina. And my soul is so happy here. And I can just like spread out and have space and be in nature and have room, <laughs> not be in a cramped LA apartment. Um and my life's really simple now. Like I, I really took out all the distractions I had been distracting myself with and I've been slowly reaching for those over the year and then being in practice of what does it look like to actually let them go one at a time um, to really see what wants to come through me. 
and we're in it. It's a live process, but it's been a really fun transformation and challenge to myself to just kind of completely reset and then intentionally add back in what do I actually want um, and not what are others expecting me to do or what others want for me or what wants to come through this, this body over here. Mm. Yeah, it was so cool to witness you in that. And it did, it happened really quickly. Um, and I think you're speaking to something that I'm currently in of like, you know, the soul knows exactly what it needs and wants. And then the human part is like, but, and it's sort of freaking out, but the the managing of both and taking time to listen, know what's true, and then to sort of calm down the the physical, the human, you know, the little fight or flight fear one that's like, but this isn't the way it was supposed to go, or this is not how everyone else is doing it, et cetera, et cetera. How do you feel like you were able to manage like keep going, you drive back across the country and, you know, do what you had to do, even though you were afraid. Uh, Voice noting you. (laughs) (laughs) But truly, this is where like, I think I had to first set up my like spiritual team around me that was standing for what my soul wanted and willing to hold me accountable to that. Because if it was just me, I would have gone back into my nine pattern of kind of numbing out blending into whatever else wanted around me and going with the flow versus really like, no, we're doing this. Um, And I needed examples too, I think, of people doing that. And you are one of those for me. We're going to play all out and that's Mm going to look different than most people's lives. And it's a really fun way to play. (laughs) I just got so excited. Ah, Yeah. I mean, I have lit a match to my life and burned shit down and recreated so many times. And I haven't, you know, uh, slowly through this podcast season, I'll continue to reveal what I'm up to. Um, but just know that I'm so in the process of this right now where um, I'm really ready to just let it all go. And this is the spiritual path, you know, and both George and I have Scorpio in our chart where we love a good birth, death, rebirth process. Um, you know, the snake has to shed its skin. And I think we're sold this lie like, you, you know, go to college and then you get the job and you find the partner and you get the house. And it's this linear thing. It's this ladder. It's these boxes you tick as an adult. And then you get into your adulthood. I mean, many are doing that and perhaps many people are happy with that. People like you and I certainly are not. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably are not. Um, But I keep having to remind myself like that life has never been for me. Um, And if my, my commitment is to the highest version of myself and my commitment is to um, really feed and feast on love and expansion, then, you know, my life is not going to look like this straight line. It's going to look like this dance. And, and I just get so excited about when I start to feel the nudge again, like time to go, (laughs) time Mm -hmm. for something else. Mm -hmm. And it's time for me. And, you know, it was time for you uh, when you moved and in the, how rapidly things fell into place for you and aligned and you found the house and you did a dad. It's like, that's how we should be living. It's like, (laughs) that's what happens when we're in alignment. Everything shows up the way it's supposed to. Um, And I just saw that in the coolest way. It was like, boop, here's my new life. (laughs) And it's the one that I've always yearned for and the one that I knew. And it just makes so much sense. And there's just no questioning it. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, it's easier. It's scarier and it's easier. (laughs) The way things lined up that quickly, I was like, okay, not much efforting. And now I have most of what I really want, which is really exquisite. But it took, can I face my biggest fears? Which for me, honestly, was like, am I willing to be totally alone? Yeah. Instead of saying merge with my environment, am I willing to stand for myself and be totally alone? Yeah. There's this. When you're doing it too, it's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) There's this poem I read uh, at retreat last week that I forget how it went, but there's a line that says, Your new life's going to cost you your old one. Um, And that's exactly, you know, what you did. Mm -hmm. You completely laid, laid down this old life, this old version of you. Um, in order to step into the new one. And not everyone's going to like that. And I think that's the important part too of this conversation is like you might disappoint another or a few or a lot or confuse or disappoint your family or 
you know, but the path that's yours, like that's in the podcast intro, like the life that's yours, the one that's waiting for you. Um, you know, you might have to disappoint some people to get there. And I think that's part of why people don't is this, they don't want to ruffle feathers or they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Um, it's just part of it. Yeah. And I always think too, part of the ruffling that does happen when we're disappointing people is they're seeing you go after your aliveness and there's still a part of them that's like, wait, I'm not allowed to do that. How are they doing that? And then it creates a ruffle, but you're really giving people around you an invitation to do the same, even if it looks like disappointment in the moment. Totally. And there's people on the other side waiting for you who are ready to meet you in that place too. Always. Yeah. I need to find this poem and share it because it said that too. There are people on the other side. They're not just going to like you. They're going to love you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not gonna, just going to understand you. They're going to really see you. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that to be true in my life uh, as well. Every time I I take this great risk, right, is, is the great reward is there and who is waiting for you on the other side. It's like, ah, like you, I didn't know a friendship like this was possible until I met you. I didn't know that there could be a place of such deep non-judgment and such deep seeing and understanding. And we always say when we train together, it's like, oh, it's so nice to share a brain, <laughs> you know, with such deep alignment and, um, you know, but I had to give up a lot of friendships to get to a place where I could uh, uh, attract a friend like you. Yeah, same, same. Had no idea this was possible. <laughs> I'm so grateful it is. Me too. Mm. Um, let's touch on conscious leadership for a moment because I know you just went through one of your last immersions and um, I have a lot of people in my life that work with you as their coach. Um, and I mean, I just feel like you are my coach as well, even though it's not formal, um, but I have been coached by you many times. And can you speak a little bit to the the program and, and you as a coach? It's just such powerful, direct work. Um, and I've really seen you step into your directness with this work, which I love. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm glad to hear you love that. <laughs> I do um, love that. <laughs> I so conscious leadership group um, is an organization I trained with and they wrote a book called the 15 commitments which for me has distilled a lot of different spiritual practices therapy practices coaching practices into these 15 tools that you can apply to your life to come into more aliveness Um, so I coach folks using this framework and I'm a Virgo I love a framework and I love a process And I love having something that in my day-to-day life I can actually apply when situations come up so that I have a tool to reach for. And so it's a lot of that. Um, And the style of coaching is called context coaching. So it's less about the content, what's actually coming up in my life, and more of the context. How am I being with it? Am I being with this event arising in my life from a place of trust and surrender? Or am I contracting in a triggered or reactive state? Um, and then supporting people when they are in that contracted state, because we will all go there every day because we're human. And then practicing what would it look like to actually shift into a state of trust, um, that the universe is a friendly place and I can surrender to it um, and listen to the knowings that come through me and design a life from that place, which I think is a lot of what we've both done. Um, for me, it just gives really practical tools to actually implement how to go towards doing that. Yeah. And it's quick. Like I've been at a car dealership on the phone with George, like over voice note. (laughs) And all of a sudden I'm crying about my, my eight year old self that felt abandoned. I'm like, Oh, okay. That was fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, am I willing to love the one in me that, you know, feels abandoned? Yes. Okay, great. And it's just so quick how you can clean it up really, really efficiently with this sort of style of coaching. Yeah. After spending years spinning in therapy on the same things, I just so love and prefer as a coach too, just going right towards the thing. And I like to think I gently and lovingly go right towards the thing. But I think that's one of my gifts is we're going to go right there. That <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah, that is your gift. That is your like gentle giant, like loving way, but you'll go, you will go right to the the core of the thing immediately. Um, and there's no real hiding from that, but you just feel so safe in it. It's amazing. 
And you're also a total, you're so psychic. You're so clairvoyant. I'm curious what your relationship is like to, um, you're the psychic one in you. Yeah. It's, it's, I was talking about this yesterday with someone. I think I was always a kid who saw a lot of images and I just thought I had a really vivid imagination and did it make it really mean anything. Um, and throughout coaching, I will commonly get really clear images and I just started playing with kind of outing the image I'm seeing and just seeing how many times it's really of service to the client I'm working with and helps bring kind of a visual metaphor to the thing they're experiencing. And then folks will say to me, like, I play with that metaphor all week and it helped me shift how I was relating to my husband and stop controlling him. <laughs> I'm like, great. Um, and yeah, just bringing it forward and kind of trusting it. And I think we're all psychic if it just means having access to knowing in some way. And for some people, it's it comes through your body. Some people, you hear things. Some people, you see things. And I think the more of this work you do, the more that channel opens up to your own knowing. Um, and the ways get to bring it through for each other. And it's so fun. Um, and I love when you bring through your knowings of just I'm having this thought and it's the exact thing I needed that moment. <laughs> and kind of the best way to be supported, like on demand by friends too. From yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's been so fun to practice that with you of like, oh, I've been, I, I, I'm hearing this or I'm, I think for you, it's maybe more visual for me. I hear it more. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just hearing this thing or, you know, you'll, I'll say something and you'll be like, whoa, you're a psychic. I was just about to tell you this or yeah, mm -hmm. it's so fun. And I see you do it in a training context too. When we lead our breathwork training, um, you know, someone will be talking and kind of going off and you'll just go, you'll just sort of pause them and just <laughs> drop this thing. And people go like, whoa, how did you know that? Or how, like, it's the perfect thing in the moment. And it's been so amazing to, to watch you do that and, and watch you like, uh, bring it in and really trust that voice that's coming through you. Thank you. Thank you. It makes the work so much more fun. Then we're not just doing the same repetitive things or bringing through present moment knowledge that supports the people we're with, which I think is what we're really up to. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about breathwork training because I think, um, it's something, it's sort of a part of our Dharma and purpose on this planet. When we met, we, I don't know, I always felt like, okay, we're going to do something together and it really feels like just the beginning, but, um, mm. both you and I have been teaching breathwork for a while, guiding groups, one-on-ones, et cetera. Um, and seeing this world of breathwork sort of blow up in a big way. Um, it's helping so many people. But there's sort of trainings that are these quick little blips and people are going out there sort of, we were like, whoa, 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 people need a little bit more of the science, the energetics, the the space holding, the trauma-informed cueing. And so together we created a training with our, our friend Elsa um, that just, I think is really uh, encapsulates um, all the elements that people really need to to feel really confident in facilitating breathwork because it's such a big experience. So, um, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. We've kind of, Ali and I, I think total study with five different breathwork teachers and just for years kind of reflected together on, oh, I like this piece and this piece is missing from this one. And here's, as we train people, realizing what they really need. And then here's what they need to actually bring into the world. And here's the feedback they might get. Um, and spent a lot of time thinking really thoughtfully about the ideal sequence to do that. And the fun thing is we now have results. I just heard actually last week from Latour, who's in our first training, he led a breathwork group for a men's group. And the result was 10 out of 10, nailed it from a participant in the group. And they were just obsessed with exactly how he did it and said it was a perfect experience. Aww. And people dropped in really deep. Yeah, we're so proud of all of our trainees. I just had one of them, um, Jen, who owns a studio in Toronto, Vibe 10. If you're in Toronto, go to her breathwork class. Such an amazing human. And um, I just think that people come to breathwork for a lot of different reasons, right? Some people will come just sort of for the more performance, biohacking, I want to hold my breath for a really long time, um, kind of that type of outcome, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's sort of the way I relate to like when people come to yoga because they want to stretch their hamstrings. I'm like, what a great opportunity for you to do that. <laughs> you can have that. And then slowly over time, the practice surprises you where 
like you were speaking to, the practice interrupts, you know, the self-hatred thoughts, or uh, you start to get these deep visuals, you know, past loved one whose past is visiting you, you feel a deep sense of love. Um, someone at the retreat last week after breathwork said, that is the best experience I've ever had in my entire life. Like that moment was the best moment of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so teaching people how to facilitate anything from, yeah, expand your lung capacity, alkalize your blood, you know, boost your immune system. The physical aspects of breathwork are truly profound and absolutely amazing uh, purpose or reason to do breathwork. But, uh, and we, we speak to that, uh, but for me, it's all the other stuff. And so getting teachers to not just know how to teach and understand the physiological benefits of the practice, but how to hold space and a safe and brave container for people to cry, scream, wail, shake, <laughs> and everything else we've seen um, is really important. And that was sort of what we felt like was missing in the training, breathwork training community was really how to hold the totality mm-hmm. of these experiences. Mm-hmm. And hold some real space for folks to do some deep inner work. It's really beautiful to see. And I'm so excited we're doing this one in person. We've been doing the last two virtually because Ali and I are now across the country, but she's coming to Asheville. I'm coming to Asheville. Yeah, I'm coming to Asheville at the end of January. So we're doing five days of in-person training at this gorgeous farm outside of Asheville. Um, Our applications are open. So if you're someone who, um, say, is teaching yoga or you're a therapist, massage therapist, or someone who's just been um, doing this practice for a while, wants to deepen the practice and learn how to facilitate it, that's uh, that's who we're looking for in these trainings. and yeah, you can apply. The link is in both of our bios. If you're interested, feel free to reach out with any questions, but it's such a profound way. I think people, what people don't realize in teacher trainings, like they think, oh, I'm just going to come learn to do the thing, but it's a deep dive in your own self-development and your own relationship to the practice. And I think that's always the most worthwhile piece of training. Yeah. And the space we're in is the perfect container to do this. I first walked onto this land and this farm I just felt it like there's this energy moving there that just a lot, kind of holds the room to do deep work. Um, and it's on a special farm called East Fork Farm. And we have a great meeting room to do this in. And there'll be cows moving outside, and chickens crowing, and you're just kind of nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, which is a fun place to be doing it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, what, uh, as we sort of close out here, what. What is bringing you the most aliveness right now in your life? I know aliveness is sort of this word that comes up all the time for you. You're always sort of, what's making me come alive? How do I connect to my aliveness? What is that for you right now? Mm. I'm like in awe of my friendships right now. I think if you'd asked me, well, this has been true for a while now, but there's an old version of me that just said, uh, friendships will be friendships and the romantic partner is where you get your intimacy and deep needs met. And I now look at my life, people like you, people like my friend Grace, my friend Molly, my friend Sabeel. I just have the most rich, expanded relationships with people who challenge me, want the best for me, um, and invite forward that alignment constantly of what's it really look like to be in this alignment. So I'm surrounded by people who are constantly pushing me to be back in that aliveness and just so grateful for it. And because these people can do it um, with lightness and fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we can do fun, deep inner work. We'll have a ton of fun and joy while doing it, which is rare. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And I think that's the only way through because so much of this work can feel so heavy. So if that you don't, you can't laugh at it, <laughs> you laugh at yeah. yourself, <laughs> you know, it makes it so much harder. Yeah. Um, you've done so much, so much work in the time that I've known you and, um, what are you most proud of? What's sort of the pocket or the piece or a relationship, um, that you're most proud of the work that you're doing? Hmm. The inner world of George. <laughs> I think I, yeah, just that shift. There was like a really scared, timid, self-hating inner voice that existed in here for such a long time that kept me in my own cage. And then I kind of dismantled the cage and I'm really grateful to say, and I like very freely bringing forth what I want to bring forth in the world. It's so fun. 
uh, included yesterday of just like pitching a new offering to this team I'm supporting that's doing incredible work, anti-poverty work in the world and meeting their needs. And I'm just getting to follow impulse uh, in a way I never have before and then getting to support people in doing the same. Um, and I just love working with folks one-on-one right now and supporting them and figuring out what that looks like for them too. Yeah. And if people wanted to work with you, I don't know if you have any more space on your roster, because I know you're quite full. What does coaching look like with you? Because I know you're sort of combining all of these different elements. So if people wanted to work with you, um, how, how do they do that? And what does that look like? Yeah. Um, we would first find your Enneagram type to kind of help you build that self map and build some self-awareness. And then I coach folks in three-month containers where we do sessions every other week. And you bring what issues are arising in my life right now into the session. Uh, And then I coach you using this conscious leadership process on that. And it just kind of unravels from there. Um, I like to invite folks to come in with what are the things I want to be experiencing in my life that I'm not. So we can set a vision that you're actually inspired to go towards. And then we start getting into all the things in the way of you doing that. And really emphasizing what is the most alive version of you look like too. Yeah, that's my favorite question right now. What does the most alive version of you look like? I feel like, um, and this is maybe my four coming out because I just had this most alive version of myself in Panama, dancing in the moonlight in the water. Now I'm back in LA in the mundane and I'm like, womp, womp. Um, but I, I think that, uh, for me, it's like the moment to moment aliveness that I can tap into, you know, like when I light a candle and sit with my journal and take a breath and come, mm-hmm. coming back to my aliveness is right here. It's like right in this moment. It's not over here and it's not last week and it's not, <laughs> you know, when I, it's right now. Um, mm-hmm. so that's just such a beautiful guiding question for me personally to get out of my own way. Mm-hmm. And that's a healthy four, everyone. <laughs> Yay. Um, so the the thing that's on my mind as we close is I was trying to, I was thinking like, George has taught me so much in the time that we've known each other. What is the greatest gift that George has given me? And I, and the answer just keeps being like, you've given me me. Like, that's the answer. It's like, you've, you've brought me back home to myself. And we're certainly such a massive part of reminding me of who I am. Um, and so that is the gift that you've given to me. And I think that's the gift that you give to the world is you give people back to themselves. Mm. So thank you for being my best friend and brother in this lifetime and many lifetimes. Um, and thank you for the work that you do in the world because um, you know, that's the, my girl Vana slogan is the world needs you to be you, right? Everyone has a unique gift and offering and essence. And that's what the world needs is, is for everyone to turn back around and look at themselves and say, yeah, I'm, I'm someone worth knowing. I'm someone worth living um, and giving my gifts to the world. And so thank you for being a person that helps walk people home to themselves. Thank you. And thank you for being willing to risk it all so that one can live in her full expansion. It's so fun to watch. In the whole month Ellie's been in Panama, I'm just like watching her teaching from total presence to the community she wants to be in and the space she wants to be in and living the dream that soul knows she can live and just like mm-hmm. giddy with joy that you're doing it with such ease and flow right now. And we're willing to risk it to get here and now bringing your wisdom through on this podcast. So just mm-hmm. constantly cheering you on and thanks for being willing. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you too. Thank you for this. I'm going to press stop, but thank you for being here. And I don't know how to end podcasts. This is my first podcast interview. So, (laughs) but I'm sure there'll be like show notes and, you know, ways people can find George and things like that. So we'll get all that up there so you can find George and and, um, be changed by his work. Thank you, Ali. Bye, George. Bye.